0: That is the arrival. That is uh, the beginning. That is when God came to earth in Jesus Christ. Advent is the four weeks, the four Sundays prior to Christmas. And uh, we only have one more Sunday to go after this one. And We looked at Jesus when it said he was the one and only out of the first chapter of John on the first week when we launched this series. Last week we looked at Mary. uh, Tried to learn some things from her. I like to, uh, when you read these stories, it's uh, here's, a, here's a good uh, way to read them. Look for yourself in the story. Look for one of the characters in the, in the narrative that you would say, I would probably be that person. You know, or I can, I can relate to that particular way that person responded to in this situation. Or try to find yourself, and it kind of brings it alive to you. Sometimes it, it surprises you, doesn't it? I mean, you see and you go... I don't want to admit it, but I'm that guy, you know, I'm, I'm them in the story. But it brings the scripture alive to us. So it's been my prayer, and even today, that we're going to look at three characters over in Matthew 2 and see if we can find ourselves maybe in one of these three or maybe in a couple of them. And so we're going to be over in Matthew 2 in the first verse. If you've got your Bible or if you've got your app and you want to turn over there, uh, you can grab it. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. We'll read this, pray, and jump into it. I'm really glad you're here today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father, bless your word this morning. Thank you for this wonderful time of the year when we are reminded of you coming to earth. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you sent to live within us and to dwell among us and to fall on us and to lead us, teach us things. And we pray this morning that your spirit would breathe life over your word. Lord, I pray for your help this morning, that you'd help me, help me with the gift of teaching this morning. Lord, help us hear what you want to hear. Help us see what you want us to see, because that will change us, Lord. We just want to see you a little clearer. So, we ask for your help this morning. In Holy Presence, Spirit of God, we welcome you here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the Magi, that's a name we don't use very much, isn't it? When's the last time you used that word in some conversation? Yeah, the Magi. You just don't, you know, what, what is Magi? We don't. They were like these Persian, they were kind of a blend of what you would say astrologists. Uh, religion you know they blended a little religion and then what they would call wisdom teachings uh, with their belief they would watch the skies for any signs of what they would interpret as changes as far as rulers like look at the stars and they would try to interpret them and uh, some believe that they might have been Zoroastrians and you've heard me mention that religion before because that's where I was headed before somebody told me about jesus' I was headed towards Zoroastrianism, and think maybe these Persians were possibly Zoroastrians. And so they had been watching the skies, and it's really, really amazing to me that God decided to reveal the birth of his own son to a group of people practicing something that was even forbidden in the Old Testament. I mean, astrology, I don't know if you ever read this or not, but it, in, the, in the Old Testament, astrology... It was forbidden. The people of God were not to take their clues from astrology charts and all. And yet, God breaks in as kind of a, it's almost like an introduction to say, what I'm about to do in the world is going to transcend any race, any generation, anything. And that I'm after everyone. I'm after the Gentiles. And a matter of fact, I'm going to show this group of Gentiles. I'm going to show them myself and the baby Jesus in his coming, in the advent. And these guys got their first clue of who God is through nature. But that's the way a lot of us are, aren't we? I mean, we, we look out and we see some amazing things in nature. We live here at the beach. These are pictures I just take on my phone in the morning. And every time I, every time I go, if you want to get them, just go to my Facebook page. You can see them. Every, every morning I try to get up. But mornings like that, when you get up and you see something like that, it's like a breadcrumb from God. It's like he says, come on, I want to show you something. And so he puts a breadcrumb out and we take it and we eat it and we look out and we go, what is behind this amazing creation? But what the Magi hopefully found out too is that the breadcrumbs, they're not the end of it. That's not the end of the journey. That is the invitation to who created all of what is so amazing In nature, we live at the beach, our sun sets. I mean, how can you not walk around and believe Psalm 19? In Psalm 19, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. Isn't that beautiful? And every day we look, and just like these magi, they looked out and they saw the glory of God, the heavens declaring the glory of God. And Day after day, and they responded to it. They took that piece of bread, and they followed the route, and it took them to Bethlehem. And God's dropping breadcrumbs all around us all the time. I don't know where you are, where you are in your journey, but I'll bet you if you're here today, whether you are a follower of Christ or not uh, at this point, God has dropped some kind of breadcrumb, and you're taking it, and you're following it, and you're wondering, where does this lead to? What kind of God does this? What kind of God creates this? What kind of God comes to earth in a baby? And so you can take the next step. And these magi, they took the next step there are three characters in this story I want to look at today. And uh, there was also Herod. I mean, there were the Magi. There were the there was Herod, who was the king, a cruel, vicious king, a king. Uh, guess what his nickname was? Guess what he was called? King of the Jews. Does that sound familiar? Wasn't there somebody else called King of the Jews? Wait, did I read something a minute ago? Where was it? Oh, it was, where was this? Uh, yeah, verse 2. And we just read something like this. Where is the one? Now get this. This is the Magi talking to Herod. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Well, Herod's like, duh. I mean, for 30 years I've been called that. Duh. But they're not looking for Herod, are they? This guy, Herod, was ruthless. He had killed His brother-in-laws, he had killed the whole, his father's side of the family. He had wiped them all out. If They looked like any threat to his kingship. He killed his wife. He would kill anybody and anyone who was threatened or in any way pushed him and felt like they would take his throne away. You've got to fill it in your handout. And as we look at these three characters today, the first one we want to look at is Herod. And I want to ask you a question looking at the way that he responded the news that the king of the Jews has come is are you threatened by the birth of Christ because it says in verse 3 when King Herod heard this he was disturbed he was threatened threatened by the news that Christ had come but we get threatened too don't we Herod's not the only one to see Jesus as a threat Uh, if someone has shared Christ with you and you're you know, you're mulling it over in your mind. You may be thinking, well, you know, I don't know. What's this Jesus going to do to my relationships? Well, I mean, how's Jesus going to affect it? He may, he may affect how I feel about this person or that person, or he may challenge me in my relationships and how I treat people. He may actually want me to like people I don't like. I mean, that's a threat to me. Or he may, he may threaten me to, with forgiveness. He may want me to forgive people. I don't know if I want to go there. Jesus could be a threat to us. He could be a threat to our lifestyles. I mean, you know, I'm used to going out on Friday nights with my friends and getting snockered, you know, just blown away and talking to my therapist, the bartender. They do probably more counseling work than any counselor does, bartenders do. They do it pretty well most of the time. But I'm used to going out with them. What's going to happen if Jesus comes into my life if he comes What's going to happen? I love doing that, man. I like going out. I like getting high with my friends. What's going to happen? I feel a little threatened by that. I don't know. Or maybe in your sex life. You know, like what if Jesus comes in and it's going to threaten the way, I, the way I live my life sexually? I mean, I like being able to be free. I like to be able to, you know, have sex with whomever, however, whenever I want to. Maybe if this Savior marches into my life, he could threaten that part of my life and I you know I don't know I don't just don't know if I want to if I want to give that up I don't know but even in marriage some one of the one of the mates one of the spouses comes to Christ or you know they feel the tug of the holy spirit calling them and they begin to wonder what well, how is this going to affect my relationship with my husband with my wife we've never had god in our marriage in Maybe this is going to change things. I don't know. I I feel threatened by this. Maybe part of that threat is because we really don't know who this Jesus is. Maybe you really don't know who he is. Maybe you're threatened by someone whom you don't know that well. Do you really know the Jesus of the Bible? Do you know who he is? Hard to be threatened by someone that we don't know. And let's face it, we got, you know, there's this thing. We got a king on the throne right now, don't you? You got a king. It is a game of, you know, it is, right? I mean, it's a game of thrones, right? Our house, I mean, our whole life is. It's a clash of kings because it's whoever is on the throne. And the throne, who we've got on our throne, is who? Most of the time, it's us. And if there is another king to come in and take that throne, that's threatening because I don't know how he's going to rule and reign. I mean, I've been ruling and reigning in my life. How you been doing with that, by the way? You doing okay with that? You know, you ruling like your kingship rocks, right? Maybe we don't know this king well enough. Maybe if we knew him better, we wouldn't be as threatened. Maybe what we have to give up or what we think we have to give up is nowhere near comparable with what the king brings. Now, I don't think it's always bad to have to go through a, you know, kind of a situation where I go, do I want to step across this line? Do I want to step across this line and go for it? But be sure you know the king before you say, I don't want that king on the throne of my life. Because you may be selling yourself way short, way short. What if this king was a better king than Herod was a king. Herod never asked that he never thought about that. Would this king rule and reign in a much better way than I would know he was immediately threatened i don't want anybody in control of my life i don't want anyone telling me what to do. you know my finances if Jesus comes into my life he may he may actually want me to give i you know i don't want to, i don't want to do that i don't want to Submit myself. There's a threat. There can be a threat in all of this. Time. What does that mean i got to give up my time now? And so we feel threatened all the way around. The future. What's the future going to look like for me, Tim, if this Jesus comes on the throne of my life? Now, I have to admit to you, my life has not turned out as I planned. Praise the Lord. You know? <laughs> because when I started out on this life, I did not plan to be here 42 years later. All right. This, wasn't, this was not my plan as me being on the throne of my life you know my plan was very simple and see if you can notice something strangely askew in this uh first it was marry the girl of my dreams which i did have kids that was the second thing which i did surf my brains out which i did ride motocross bikes which i did till i got hurt play music good music which i have and then love Jesus. I just met. And, that would, and then take my dad's business over and make a lot of money so I can do all of that all the time. That was my plan. But that wasn't God's plan. When the king on the throne came, it changed some things. But you know what? It changed it for the better. The king, when he comes and he rules and he reigns, yeah, he's a threat to some things, but he's only a threat to the things that keep you from getting to where God always planned for you to be. But if you don't know who he is you may push back and feel a threat and not step into that next step to walking with him. So we can be threatened by Jesus. And then there's the chief priests and teachers. Over in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Immediately, just like that, the religious leaders, when asked, Hey, where's that Messiah that you guys have been talking about for all these hundreds of years? Where's this Messiah going to be born? The chief religious people immediately quote Micah and hundreds of years earlier and say, Oh, it'll be in Bethlehem. Now, let me ask you this question. Did the religious leaders pack up everything they had and walk the one hour to Bethlehem so they could see for themselves? Did they? Did they do that? Did they get up and go? They didn't. You know why? Because they were bored with the whole thing. And that's your second feeling is, are you bored by the birth of Christ? Are you bored by it? I mean, they were only 30, 45 minutes away to make their way over to Bethlehem. The... Populous, the general population of Israel, all they knew the prophecies. They had been, te- been taught that the Messiah was going to come and they had heard it. But these guys, the chief priests, they knew it inside and out. They had the scrolls. They had studied and told Israel one day, one day the Messiah is going to come. And when Herod asked about this, and they quote, they don't even listen to what they're saying because they're just bored complacent and indifferent about the whole thing. I mean we can become the same way. We're inundated with all the messages that this is about a baby and it's you know children time and it's We go in the malls, and you can't go past a single store. Everything's Christmas, 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 Christmas. Uh, You you hear it. Every single pop star in the world, every single band in the world has got a Christmas album, from heavy metal bands to, you know, Jethro Tull, for goodness sakes, even got a Christmas album. You know, I mean, most of you don't even know who that is. But, uh, you know, Justin Bieber probably does. Okay, there you go. But, I mean, you know, everybody's got Christmas songs out because we just are inundated to the point that we just become dull. And this period of time is nothing special. There is nothing special about this baby being born. We become bored with it. Maybe we're raised in church. Our church has been around for 16 years now. And so, uh, you know, there are a few that have been with us the whole time. And so they have heard, pray for them, me preach every Sunday for 16 years. And, I mean, that you can just turn it off after a while, not hear the message. If you've been raised in church and your parents are followers of Christ, you can begin to think that there's salvation by osmosis. You know, I've been to church my whole life. I know to treat people well, to be good, to be a good person. And so you, the switch goes off and you become bored with the message. I've heard it a hundred times, Christmas, a baby, whatever. And we become bored. There's nothing special to it. Nothing special about it. What a sad thing, you know, that it's been reduced to that, that we can become, you know, that the best news can become the boring news. The best news that mankind ever received has become the boring news. Are you bored by all of this? Bored by the good news? Bored by God Almighty himself coming in such a small, frail package to earth? Isn't it crazy that someone like Herod who could kill anybody was threatened by a baby? We get bored with this story. How could we ever get bored with Christ coming to earth? 100% God, 100% man. I mean, does it impress you that Micah 5-2, you know, that that prophecy, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, all of these scriptures being fulfilled in that moment, is that boring? I mean how who laced all this together so all of this happened where these historical moments happened and they were prophesied hundreds of hundreds of years prior Maybe we're bored because we all have bibles we don't think there's there's a, a, you know anything new about the story that's in here how many of you have more than one bible Yeah we do don't we I mean I growing up in the south one of the standard Things I saw. I don't see it at the beach as much because this is like a world unto its own, (laughs) down here on this strip, you know. But growing up in the South uh, was that you'd see cars parked and like at stores, and up on their dashboard would be a Bible. And in the pages, you could tell the sunlight had got to, and it was curled up because that's where it stayed until the next Sunday either there or in the, you know, the back of the, the car, you would see it sitting there because, I mean, we all got them. We got the, you know, they had the family Bible. You can go pick a Bible up. I mean, I'm grateful that we can have as many Bibles as we want. It's the, still the biggest selling book in the world. There's been something like 9 billion Bibles sold. 9 billion. Somewhere around 100 million are sold every year. It's the number one seller every single year, though you will never hear that from anybody. It is, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful that we have these apps, you know. Now, matter of fact, I'm going to push one right now. Uh, if you have got kids, grandkids, or you have you guys seen this kids app? Put that up, Scott, on there. Have you seen this one? I, I, I'm telling you, this is like, listen to this. This is all illustrated. Just kinda like you go to the next one, it, the whole Bible. Mary was engaged to Joseph, but he didn't believe her story. So an angel visited him. Snoring. Mary's not her baby will be God's son. It's free. You must name him free. Jesus. I like to put this on in my truck, actually. Just, <laughs> just kinda put it up there and put it through the speakers and just let it roll. Like, yeah. So it's not just for kids. <laughs> so if you need a little help and a little illustration along the way, get, you know, get this. It's, it's free. There's guys at Life Church you know, doing a great job with this kind of thing. So, uh, but maybe because we have such access, we can get it so easily that we just don't value the mes- message anymore. It becomes boring to us. You know, and I, for us, for those of us who are followers of Christ, man, what, wouldn't it be wonderful if this morning we were reawakened to the beautiful, wonderful news that God has come to earth. God is among us. He is here in Jesus Christ. Um. Some of us, we listen to the message over and over. We've, like I said, we may have been raised in church to the point that where we don't even know whether we have a relationship with God or if we have a relationship with people who have a relationship with God. When we're in a family, it can be like that. And we parents can be like that. We can be like that where the kids like, oh, yeah, they're good, you know, because they're with us. But a time comes, my dear young person, where you step out and take that step across the line where the news is no longer boring but it's life-changing for you. Maybe this is the time for you. Maybe now's the time for you to take the step, to cast off that boredom of the thing you've heard all your life. Some of us, it didn't take that long. Do you know the first person that ever told me about Jesus, I went for it. The first person who sat down and told me about Christ, I went, that's the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard in my life. Really? And as he shared with me, the lights just went on. It's like somebody was turning the lights on in the house because I had been kind of intellectually searching and searching and searching. But when that good news came that God had come to earth in Jesus and made a way for me to be reconnected with my creator, when I followed those breadcrumbs and I got to that point, then I realized, man, my life is going to change forever. And it has. So we can feel threatened by the birth of Christ. We can be bored with the birth of Christ. And then look in verse 9 in our passage today in Matthew 2. After they had heard the king, these are the magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And here's another way we can respond. Are you overjoyed by the birth of Christ? Are you overjoyed? The magi were overjoyed at being able to see that that the king had come. The religious leaders, bored. Political leaders, threatened. These Gentile, somewhat misled religiously, people still had hunger and were taking the breadcrumbs until they finally got to him, and they were overjoyed. And you know, they bring gifts. They, when, they, when, overjoy, when we're overjoyed with something, doesn't it open up your heart? I mean, one of the natural responses is we begin to give. It's like the generosity of God. Once we see what God has given to us, then suddenly our hearts open and we're a much generous people. The magi came and they brought their treasure. I love the way that, that whole thing is phrased, the way that they, they just opened it up as soon as they saw and they presented him. Then, it's like when they see him, their first thing is they bowed down, they worship, and then they opened up their treasures. That was their response to seeing the king. That was the response of joy. Joy in their life. That's the way it was making itself be known through them seeing the baby. And they bring gold and they bring frankincense or incense and myrrh. And gold could be, uh, you know, it's symbolic of like the authority, the royalty that is in this baby. Who he is as the real king. The incense or the frankincense is like, in you know, it's they still burn incense now, right? Because my generation, we burned it all the time. but But there was a reason for it. And um, same reason. Okay, got gotcha. you. <laughs> they brought incense, which is a you know the the priests they burned incense in the temple, kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit coming and filling the temple, the Holy Spirit filling the temple. Okay, and so here's the the Magi bringing their gifts, opening their heart in gold. You're the king, you're royalty. They bring the incense. They're like. You're the priest, you're the high priest, Jesus, recognizing who He is, and then they bring myrrh. And I know that the, the magi didn't recognize what probably what they were doing, but prophetically, it was a beautiful thing because myrrh is a spice that they used on the bodies when people would die. And it was almost like they were giving a shout out and pointing toward the day when Jesus would give his life. Myrrh. Here's a picture of Jesus in the gifts from these magi. royalty, priestliness and he will give his life one day. That sweet aroma. Listen, don't let what you think you have to give up keep you from getting to Bethlehem. Don't let what you think you have to give keep you from receiving the greatest gift of all. Did all of this giving upset the Magi? Did they go, oh man, I don't want to give up my treasure. What? What? You know, I don't want to give a this. These guys, what you don't see in the story is they had probably traveled 900 miles. 900 miles, though we tell the story of three because of three gifts. They say there were three magi, three kings, three wise men. The story just kind of gets blown up through time. But there were probably a large number of people. They had traveled for months possibly to get to the baby Jesus. They had carried everything they needed. It was a lot of preparation. They had paid a price to get to Christ, to get to the baby Jesus. Yet they were overjoyed to be there, to see the birth of the king. Joy is a part of the experience of coming to Bethlehem, of coming to Jesus. In Psalms 30, verse 11 and 12, we read, You turned my wailing into dancing, you re- removed my sackcloth. Now that didn't mean they were having a sack race. That, that's those are mourning clothes that the Jewish people use. Sackcloth. They they would humble themselves, put themselves in the dirt, throw dirt on their faces, and you know ashes over their head, and just in a sign of mourning, in a sign of sadness. You have removed my sackcloth, my sadness, my mourning, and you've clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. That's part of coming to Bethlehem, part of seeing the baby Jesus, seeing who he is. And in the Lucan account in Luke 2.10, when the angel shows up, he says this, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all people, even the Magi. The Gentile, those far away, those struggling, those are just picking up the breadcrumbs and trying to make their way to the Creator. I bring you great news. There's joy in this news. Church, let's restore the joy of Christmas. Let's restore the joy of coming to see that Christ has come and that God in His infinite grace and mercy has come in a little child, bundled Himself up in a little baby, susceptible, vulnerable baby, to bring us the good news of our salvation. Man, how could we ever get bored with that news? Advent is the beginning of our freedom. It is the beginning and the release of you and I finally finding out what God had in mind all along for us. This is the time to rejoice. This is the time to worship. Let's pray.